It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. Well, I have been gone for a long time, at least from Daily Thunder. I was here, but we had our sort of our Christmas edition of Daily Thunder going. And so I've really missed this. This is a very, very significant uh, exercise and sort of routine in my life. The preparations for it, the prayer surrounding it, the gathering of the body of Christ. And so it's fun to uh, be back. Uh, my family just got back from Southern California. And we are, it's, there's a certain point in time where you just sort of want to get back into the rhythm of what you do, especially when you love what you do. And I love what I do. So I'm going to be kicking off my arrival back with a series. It's going to be a four-part series, and it's called Define the Enemy Voices. And this is something I have a lot of experience in. Uh, I think all of us are, every single one of us is exposed at varying levels and degrees to enemy attack and the way that the enemy attempts to break us down. When he sees us gaining momentum in our spiritual life, well, he has a desire and a design to compromise that, to undermine that, to hinder that. And I'm using the term voices, whether or not we want to uh, stick with that term, I, I guess we will for this series, but one of the other terms I could use for it is an operation. It's a tactical maneuver against a soul, and we are that soul, and the enemy wants to stop our forward movement. He wants to disintegrate our confidence. He wants to break down our faith. He wants to turn us from a clear sighting of Jesus Christ into blur into cloud, into hopelessness, into despair. This first one is going to deal with despair specifically, so I'm calling it the voice of despair. And uh, I, you know, I'm not sure where all of you are at and what you've been exposed to. I can say that uh, when, I, when I read Paul's thorn uh, passage, where he's talking about uh, having a thorn in the flesh, which is a very odd passage in Scripture, I would be the first to acknowledge that, and yet... Uh, one thing we get out of it is the understanding that though there is something persistent in his life, that God's grace is sufficient, and that even in the midst of that persistent evil coming against him, because we know it's a messenger from Satan, we see that Paul is able to rejoice in the midst of it and, in a sense, flip the situation on its head and gain strength and grace from it. And so that's an important uh, platform point that I want to reason from in all of these uh, sessions that I'm going to be going through, these episodes. Uh, and when I talk about despair, despair is a very specific thing. Many of us may not deal with despair in its extremities, but we deal with despair in, in a subtle way, in its uh, more uh, beginning points oftentimes. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says, Be sober, vigilant, which means watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Then it gives a very specific tactical maneuver against him. It says, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So when you say, well, Eric, I know you're saying that you've experienced these things against you. How do you know that all of us have too? Well, because of 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, I have an adversary. 
who seeks to devour me. And I have so much evidence in my own life. If you were to read my journal and understand all the different things that have come against my life over the past, whatever it's been, 29 years of a radical service unto Jesus Christ. Actually, it's been more than that now. I, I better get a fresh count on, on what it is. And you would notice that the moment I stepped forth strongly in my Christian faith, there was an opposition that began to rise up against me. When I was young, I didn't understand what that was. And so as a result, it played me like a fiddle. As I began to mature in my Christian faith, I began to recognize, wait a minute, that's actually the enemy. And a lot of times it comes in the form of, and this is what I'm going to mainly focus on in this four-part series, the form of thoughts. And the devil's game is to get us to think that the thoughts are our thoughts. And so he attempts to place, and I don't know how he submits thoughts. I don't know if this is some kind of Bluetooth technology the enemy has into our brain. I honestly don't know how the whispering of the enemy works. And that's why to call it a voice is, it's accurate, but I'm not sure how it works. It's not like a normal, audible human voice. But somehow he presents thoughts to us, and they're usually in our challenge moments, in our crisis situations, we hear things, we think things, and the thoughts, for whatever reason, feel like our own thoughts, when in actuality, what we have is a presentation of thoughts that is given to us. We do have our own thoughts, don't get me wrong. However, there's a presentation of thoughts. There is an enemy who is seeking to devour us, and so this voice or operation of despair is one of the things that I want to bring to the surface today. So I'm going to go a little overview of where we're going to be headed in this four-part series. So I'm going to call it four specific enemy voices. I put voices in quotations just because I don't want to overplay the term. I'm, I'm giving it as a statement. It's, it's, a, it's a play against us, and it is like a voice. It, maybe that's the best way of, of describing it, too. And so underneath that, I say, believe me, there are more. So there's more than four voices or four operations that come against us, but these are four I want to lift to the surface. These are four that I'm familiar with. In other words, these are four that I've specifically encountered at a very high level over the years. And as a result, I can speak on them maybe a little more clearly than some of the others. But the voice of despair is the one I want to cover today. The voice of diminishment, the voice of pride, and the voice of fear. And when I say the voice of pride, that, that one's going to come out and unpack a little different than you might expect. It's not just like, hey, you're special, Eric. Boy, you are really impressive. It's a little different than that. And I would almost call it the voice of self-interest or self-protectiveness. In other words, when you're under attack, you need to justify yourself. When someone is mocking you, then you're like, hey, I'm not all that. I, I, I am, I'm fine. And you have to try and Instead of coming into the cloak of Jesus Christ, you have a tendency to create your own cloak or sew up your own defense. And so it's a tactic of the enemy. And so I'm going to go through all of those in the next four sessions. Actually, Sunday's session is going to be a little off topic. It won't be part of the series, and then we'll get back to this on Monday. So the operation of despair. I chose the word operation there just to get us off voice for a second so you don't get uh, over uh, fixated on a, the term voice. But the operation of despair, it's a tactical maneuver. If this was a military uh, situation, they would set forth an operation to say, take out Eric Ludi. Here's how we want to do it. Let's use this tool, this tool, and this tool. Forming it together would create an operation against my soul. And that's how the devil works. The devil has tools. The devil has an arsenal of weaponry, he has agents that he utilizes. And he uses the same thing on all of us. That's what's interesting. The devil isn't creative in the sense that he's coming up with all sorts of new technologies. 
The enemy is using what he's always had, and lies and deception seem to be his game. So the operation of despair, what is its goal? Why would the enemy come against us to try and bring about this thing called despair? It's to quash hope and to convince you that there is no means of salvation left you. Now, you could take that to the extreme degree, like spiritual salvation from hell, which is a, you know, it's called condemnation, where you literally feel like there is no more hope. You have sinned, the sin that has no ability to be forgiven, and you are without hope. You have gone past whatever marker there was. You are abandoned of God, and this is the enemy. He's whispering, because this isn't actually how the kingdom of heaven works. As long as you're breathing, you still have hope. There is still a God who desires to rescue you. And so despair is an operation of the devil every time. The devil wants to remove hope. And so now we could go to the more micro versions of it, because I've never dealt with the, the fear of that I'm going to hell and it's all lost and there's no salvation for me. However, I have experienced in certain circumstances where I've been praying for years and the circumstances keep standing against me. In fact, the enemy opposition seems to increase. The more I try, the more difficult the opposition it gets, and the more difficult the obstacle is, and I start to hear the whispering. There's no hope. This is never going to change. No matter how hard you try, all you're doing is like feeding fertilizer to the enemy. So you might as well stop. Okay, that's a different form of despair. It's not a despair of soul, like of eternal salvation, but it's a despair in the circumstance. They're both of the same material. They're both of the same nature. They both are from the enemy, and they desire to stop you in your forward progression. They desire you to set down your weapons, to surrender and stick up the white flag. You have given up hope of victory. And so it means to quash hope and to convince you that there is no means of salvation left you. So the voice of despair, what does it say? Here's a few samplings, okay, to see if you recognize this voice. You're through. Give up. Stop trying. Let go of your weapon. Set it down. You're beaten. It's not worth it. Nothing you do is going to make a difference. Just close your eyes and go to sleep. You ever had it where you're going through a difficult season and to get out of bed is one of the hardest actions of the day? That's because this is working on you. It's a form of discouragement. Discouragement, like the next one I'm going to go through, diminishment, and despair aren't that far apart, but they're slightly different. They're like a hybrid of the same thing, of discouragement. It's all a removal of hope. And so when you feel valuable in the kingdom of heaven, you feel like you're a, a useful tool to God and that God desires to work through you to bless others, you have energy. But the moment you begin to feel like you're useless, that God doesn't want to use you, that, he, that he's abandoned you, boy, that's a hard thing to walk through because your whole purpose is to reveal God. The moment you begin to feel like he doesn't want to use you for your purpose, well, go to sleep. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the self-medicating things that we do is to go to sleep. Sleep's a wonderful thing, but it could be misused. And that's what the devil is saying. Just close your eyes and go to sleep. I, this second to last one that I read, it's not worth it. Nothing you do is going to make a difference. When you've been hitting on the same thing for a long time, I have certain themes in my life where I've had to learn long-suffering. And if you've heard Daily Thunders over the past year, you've heard me say there's a difference between suffering and long-suffering. That word long is a very, very critical word. And so 
I've known suffering, but God's been training me in understanding long-suffering. And long-suffering is what the Christian grows up in. However, if you aren't learning long-suffering, you start to go through a season where you need perseverance, you need endurance, the devil can get you because you're starting to feel like nothing's working. Here's one of the thoughts that's gone through my head many times. Okay, I've been in ministry for a long time now. And I've been laboring hard. I've spoken loudly and boldly. And the world is worse off now than when I started. If you overthink that, <laughs> you could literally begin to think, what good was it? I'm really not doing anything. My life has been hard because of it, and nothing was changed. So who's whispering to me? Okay, is this God going, yeah, you might as well give up. Nothing's going to change. We know that that's not God's voice, but we oftentimes don't tag it as the enemy's voice. And so as a result, we have a counselor, and he's coming in, and he's saying one thing to us, give up. You see, he's removing the hope. The hope is that God is going to do something in this world. God is going to change lives. When I stand for the truth, people will be changed. The moment you begin to lose that is the moment it becomes extremely hard to do ministry. If you don't believe that the Spirit of God is alive and kicking today and that he is looking for a vessel and that vessel is you and if you simply walk in obedience, the world will be altered. If you don't know that, if you don't have the hope of that reality, it becomes very heavy to do ministry. So what is our response? Now, well, there's a lot in the Bible on this. This is a very simple uh, message that I'm giving, but here's a good summary of it. Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil has wiles. He's concocting plans. He's conspiring against us to stop us, to remove our confidence. He wants to bring that discouragement. He wants to remove our clear sense of hope. So as a result, Paul in Ephesians is saying, hey guys, put on the whole armor. Dress in the work of Christ. Take what he has given to you at the cross. Wear it and stand against the wiles of the animal, enemy. Don't lay down and go to sleep. Stand. The despondent Christian is the beaten Christian. Despondent is a fascinating word, and it goes really well with despair. I'm going to define it for you. This is actually uh, Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Despondent, a sinking or dejection of spirits at the loss of hope. Loss of courage at the failure of hope or in deep affliction, or at the prospect of insurmountable difficulties. I had a point, I think it was right around March of this last year, and I felt such a crushing reality of an insurmountable mountain. And in fact, we even called it in our uh, board meeting, it was an Everest. And we weren't expecting that Everest. We thought the Everest was melted away, and suddenly it grew larger in front of us. And I remember having a tough time breathing in the moment. It was, in, it was a moment. It wasn't a season. It was a moment, but it was a very real thing. And I was being played upon in that moment. She's like, Eric, there's no way. I mean, have you ever had the thought about uh, the, the, the disciples when they forgot their lunch? And Jesus is like, hey, guys, who's in the boat with you? Didn't I feed the 5,000 and the 4,000? Why would you be concerned about your lunch? 
See, many of us have witnessed the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, but we feel like God's amazing, miraculous work is used up. Like, we can't presume that he's going to keep doing that stuff. And the devil loves that line. It's like, okay, yeah, you've seen the power of God in the past, but God can't just keep bailing you out, Eric. He can't just keep coming through for you. He has other work to do in the world. I mean, there's starving children in Ethiopia. He can't just deal with your issues. It's a very interesting tactic of the enemy. When, in fact, God can do whatever he wants for as long as he wants. And if he fed 5,000 and 4,000, he can definitely take care of your lunch today. And we need to freshly remember that. That's hope. And that's what the enemy wants to quash. And despondency is when we've lost that clear sense of hope. That God is for us. That God desires us to succeed in this life as we serve him. That God has a plan and a purpose, and his plan and his purpose for us are good. You must not become the despondent Christian. So what are our tools? God hasn't left us without a hope. So here's a beginning list. I have three different short lists. They all start with R. And you'll notice my third one in the list, I had to sort of mess with it a little to get it to start with R. But you can resist, you can rebuke, and you can wrestle. Uh, just If anyone's listened to this via podcast, I did spell wrestle with a W, but I made the W really small so we could emphasize the R so I could keep my R thing going here. So you can resist, rebuke, and wrestle in the name of Jesus. You see, resisting is a deliberate <coughs> position of soul. You see, when you are passive, you are allowing something. When you're resisting, it's like if the enemy's at a door and he's trying to push in, passivity doesn't push against it. It just says, oh, I can't stop it. He's too strong for me. But resistance actually pushes back, knowing that in the authority of Jesus, though he is a wolf and you're a sheep, you have the power of the shepherd pushing along with you when you do it in the authority of Christ's name. So you resist, you are not passive. You can rebuke. Rebuke is a spiritual correction of something. So a lot of us are afraid of the word because of certain uh, texts in scripture about, hey, don't rebuke. However, that is a misuse of your position to rebuke in the way that it's, it's talking about in Jude, for instance. But to rebuke is simply a global term for spiritually standing for spiritually exercising authority. We just need to do that properly. But it's sort of like, and I've, I've used this illustration, if there was a table and it had money on it, and say it had five coins, and those coins all belong to Jesus Christ, it's something he purchased on the cross, and the enemy comes in, all sneakily, uh, and he grabs one of those coins. It doesn't belong to him. And so you see it because the Holy Spirit wants you to see it, and he says, do something about it. So what you need to do is correct the situation. That's what rebuking is. It's a correction of something that's wrong. And so you say, well, in the name of Jesus, not in your authority. You're not the one that should be badgering the enemy and hitting them. In the authority of Jesus' name, let go of that coin and give it back. And that's a correction of a situation. We have the authority to do that. And wrestle. Now, one of the terms in Scripture is bind, which is, makes some people feel a little awkward and uncomfortable, but it's, hey, it's a biblical word. Another one is wrestle. They're sort of the same concept. And that is to, I, I like the term hogtie. The term pale in Scripture, which is we wrestle not against flesh and blood in Ephesians 6, is actually like to take something, grab it, and throw it to the ground. 
pin it so it cannot function anymore. Well, we actually have the authority to do that. And so we have the authority to resist. It says resist the devil and he will flee. We have the authority to rebuke in the name of Jesus. And we have the authority to actually take down the enemy's operation and pin it so that it has no more functionality in our life. So we can do that. Then we can also, listen to this list, remember, rouse, rehearse, and remind the devil of the triumph of Jesus. I like this list. So we can remember. You know how important it is to remember in the Christian life? All throughout the, the history of the Jews, you see them building piles of stones. Why? To remember. So that when they walk by that pile of stones, they will be able to remember that which God has done. So many of us know the truth, but in the moment of fog, in the moment when the enemy is playing his hand against us, we start to lose sight of that truth, which is why it's so important to stand up, to rise up, and rehearse, remember that which God has done and begin to speak it to yourself. Rouse is the same cause. You see, rouse and rehearse. To rouse your soul is an action. I've had to do this so many times. I, and I, I think you guys have probably heard me say this over the years. I don't have anyone who preaches to me. I have people that will speak exhortation to me, but not a lot of people will yell at me. It's like, Hur! the way I yell at other people. That's what I do. I preach all the time, right? I don't have preachers in my own life. So I preach to myself, and that's what I mean by rouse. When I'm in an early morning prayer time, there are times when I just have to command my soul, and I have to rouse my soul to action. Get up! Wake up, Ludi! You know the truth. You are in Christ. Do not buy that lie. Remember the word of God on this point. And I'm like Eric Ludi going, what is the word of God on this point? And then there's this other voice. It's like, you know what it is. Start speaking it. So rehearse it. So it sounds funny that I'm talking to myself, but that's actually what, I mean, you see David doing that in the Psalms all the time. Sort of like, awake my soul. Rise up to action. It's critical in this. You cannot allow the devil to bury you with his lies. I like this final one. And remind the devil of the triumph of Jesus. Oh, and by the way, devil, just while we're going through this exercise, I just want to remind you that you are a defeated foe. And I remember that. So here's one more list. Oh, and don't forget to freshly ratify the hope that is yours in Christ. Rejoice in the amazing faithfulness of our God. And worship. I had to mess with that one a little to get the R in there too. Uh, So for those of you that are getting this via podcast, the W-O in worship is really small. And then I have er-ship up there so I can keep my R theme going. So and worship him for his goodness, constancy, mercy, and unending love. So to ratify is a term I use a lot. It's a, it's a governmental word. So, you know, the, government, the governmental body will gather together and they need to ratify, which means to all agree, freshly agree, that this is the law of the land. Yes, we all agree we will begin to execute this. And that's what we need to sometimes do. We know the truth, but we need to ratify the truth afresh. And that's why you'll see me when, I, when I, I'll say to the students, what's your position? Why am I asking that question? So that they can ratify, I'm in Christ. And when you ratify these things, it's critical for your soul. It's an action of faith. And then, so ratify the hope that is yours in Christ. Rejoice in the amazing faithfulness of our God. There is nothing about despair that makes you feel like rejoicing. 
In fact, the last thing you want to do is rejoice. You want to nurture a little self-pity. You don't want to rejoice. Rejoicing is smacking self-pity in the face. It is literally going the opposite direction. Despair pushes you into the dirt. Rejoicing goes up. It goes in the direction of heaven. And so you're agreeing with God and you're rejoicing in your circumstance, even though it may look bleak in the natural realm. And then worship. There's nothing quite like worship in a time when the enemy's whispering hopelessness. To truly cherish and to adore him. He is good. He is constant. He is merciful. He is loving. His mercy endures forever. And as a result, no matter how difficult your circumstance, it is not greater than his power to overcome it. And no matter how bleak your circumstances, yes, with men it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So therefore, there is no situation, no circumstance too great for God. So what is our scriptural ground? Can despair really stand up against the word of God? You see, if you know how to wield what is written when that voice comes, I mean, talk about blasting the enemy out of the water. This is our great tool. It's the word of God. So do we have scriptural grounds to fight against despair? So despair says you're through. There's no more hope. God's word says no one who hopes in him will be ashamed. Despair says God's abandoned you. Just give up. Stop trying. God's word says he will never leave me or forsake me. Despair says let go of your weapon. Set it down. God's word says no grave trouble will overtake me and that I will not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Despair says you're beaten. You've got nothing left. God's word says that I will have an abundance for every good work and that no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Despair says, just close your eyes and go to sleep. You simply can't keep going. God's word says that I am strong and the word of God abides in me and I have overcome the wicked one. And that he who spared not his own son, will he not freely give me all things? Despair says it's not worth it. Nothing you do is going to make a difference. God's word says, he who has begun a good work in me will bring it to completion. So, for la- I, I don't do judo, and so it's hard to, for me to talk with a lot of authority on this. I've just heard. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, word on the street is that this is how it works. Uh, and I, I'm pretty confident that it is, but there's probably some judo expert out there that's like, this guy has no clue what he's talking about. Maybe right. The judo move is what I call it. Leveraging the enemy's evil movements against him. So from what I understand in judo, one of the keys is to leverage your enemy's momentum and antagonism against him. Like height, weight, all these things are actually to your advantage. So he may be triple the size of you. Ah, in judo, that's a help to you. And at first you're like, what what do you mean that's a help to me? He's three times my size. Because when he aggressively comes after you, if you know how to convert his momentum and his strength and his weight and his height against him, he's actually going down harder because of it. And so that's the judo move. So you have an enemy who's bigger, taller, stronger, and heavier than you are. He's a tough character, right? However, in the kingdom of heaven, you become a judo expert. You learn the art of leveraging the enemy's weight, height, and advantages against him. Yes, he's a talker. But with every word he whispers, you can literally flip it. 
and see it actually turn to your advantage, to the advantage of the glory of God, to the advantage of the spread of the gospel in this age and generation. Well, now that gets you excited. Then it's sort of like, hey, I don't fear the voice of the enemy when I know I can do that. So a well-handled judo move on the voice of despair. Yeah! I think that's, do you, do you say, yeah, in judo too? Or is that just karate? I don't even know if in karate you'd do that. I mean, kips in karate, you think I would know it. It's called a kihai or something like that. hi So I don't know what they do in judo, but I, let's just presume they do, right? So it's like, yeah, and you flip it, right? A well-flipped work on the voice of despair can help the Christian regain and regrip the profound hope that does exist in the life of faith and develop within them super heroic strength. So if you are struggling with this voice today, what I want you to do is rise up. I want you to approach this with a resisting attitude, to defy it and to flip it, that it gains no more ground in your life, but you actually gain ground through its attempt to bring despair in yours. So let's finish with this. This is a quote from A.B. Simpson. There are two ways of getting out of a trial. One is to simply try to get rid of the trial and to be thankful when it is over. I've had that model of dealing with trials many times in my life. It's like, oh God, could you just end this thing? Could I, can, I just want the other side of this trial. I don't want to be in it. God, please end this thing, right? The other is to recognize the trial as a challenge from God to claim a larger blessing than we have ever had and to hail it with delight as an opportunity of obtaining a larger measure of divine grace. It's a judo move. Thus, even the adversary becomes an auxiliary and the things that seem to be against us turn out to be for the furtherance of our way. Surely this is to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm going to read that second to last sentence again. Thus, even the adversary becomes an auxiliary, and the things that seem to be against us turn out to be for the furtherance of our way. When you are struggling with a heavy-duty spiritual attack, that line almost seems ridiculous. It's, it's easier to write that line when you're not in the spiritual attack. However, that's what we need to hear when we're in the spiritual attack. We need to remember. We need to rouse our soul. We need to rehearse the realities of the kingdom of heaven. And we need to flip in the authority of Christ's name this heavy-duty opponent that is coming against us. Father, I ask that you would work wonders in our soul. Lord, I pray that you would give us a fresh strength and courage and energy for those that are here present today in this room or for those that are hearing this via podcast or watching it in the future. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would remind them of your word and that they would freshly rouse their soul to action. Lord, may we defy this enemy voice in our life and may we heed your word afresh. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. 
We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.